0: Amen. Amen. Thanks, Jacob. Hey, everybody, good morning. Good morning, welcome to Coastal, welcome to all of you, welcome to you, uh, those of you who are watching online, thank you for tuning in and, uh, and joining us. Um, hey, and speaking of being online, I'd like to uh, give a little shout out to my wife's family in North Georgia. My wife Janet is actually in uh, Georgia this weekend, my mother-in-law, her mom uh, had hip replacement surgery, and uh, so I, I'm not sure which service, they're all watching uh, the service, but she's still in the hospital, so please be praying uh, for my mother-in-law, uh, Miss Nancy, just a sweet, godly woman, pray for her recovery, and uh, love you, Janet, ready for you to come home, so anyway, uh, good to have everybody joining us today. By the way, I'm a terrible bachelor, I am, I, you know, my wife and I, we've been married uh, 36 years, and uh, anytime we have to, anytime we're apart from each other for any length of time, my my mind goes to... Uh, those of you, you know, who have family in the military, uh, or your work makes you uh, travel, and uh, man, I just hate that, I, I'm just terrible at that, and uh, I always think about you guys that are apart from your spouses. Uh, I don't sleep well, it's just I'm bored, you know, and uh, this past week with, with Janet gone, I think I visited like 37 life groups this past week, so I didn't visit that many, but uh, I did go to a few groups, but um, hey, listen, we, um, we've been in the series on the book of Romans, we're in chapter 12. And uh, during uh, the first 11 chapters, uh, we covered a lot, of, a lot of ground, a lot of information, a lot of theology. And now here we are in chapter 12, and Paul has switched uh, the emphasis from doctrine uh, to duty. Uh, in other words, our convictions uh, now are to influence our conduct, as we say here at Coastal, where we live, work, parent, or play. Uh, you see, spiritual maturity, write this down. If you're, if you're taking notes today, fill this in. If Spiritual maturity is not just about good information. It's about life transformation, becoming more and more like Jesus. Spiritual maturity is not just about good information. It's about life transformation becoming more and more like Jesus. Now let me explain, because I don't want you to get me wrong here. Good information is important, okay? Good, solid theology, biblical theology is important. However, if spiritual maturity... We're just about having the right information, you know, the right knowledge, then the most spiritually mature people in the day of Jesus would have been the Pharisees. And yet, Jesus called them out all the time. He called them evil snakes, whitewashed tombs. He said, you are people who clean up and look pretty on the outside, but on the inside, your hearts are rotten to the core. You see, our beliefs have to have an impact on our behavior. And uh, so that's the switch that Paul makes here in chapter 12. He's reminding us, reminding the church, that we need to be a place, we need to be a people that where other people in the world around us actually see a living demonstration of the love of Jesus. It's kind of what he was saying in Galatians chapter 5 verse 6. The only thing that counts, I love this, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And that's really what we see here in this passage today that we're going to look at, this living demonstration of our faith, uh, expressing itself in love. And you, you see it here in this passage expressed through what I'm going to call these ever-expanding circles, circles of love. And they start really small, and then it begins to get bigger And bigger and bigger as it begins to include more and more people. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to take a look at these circles and talk about how we as a church, as Christians, should be putting our love into action. So number one, the first circle of love begins with me, you and me, that's where it starts. In other words, living out our faith, expressing our faith through love begins with you, okay, your individual character. Look at verse nine. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Let's break that down just a little bit. Paul says love must be sincere. Uh, If you have the New American Standard translation, it says let let love be without hypocrisy. Now that's a good literal literal translation because the, the, the word that Paul uses there um, is where we get our, our word for hypocrite, which literally means play acting. And in the first century, they would have been very familiar with this word because Greek actors in that day would utilize these masks, literal masks. And, you know, throughout the play, they would put on different masks to uh, convey uh, a different emotion, you know, sadness, anger, you know, excitement, happiness, So these were like the the original emojis, okay? And so they would have been familiar with this. So saying that our love shouldn't be like that, that it needs to be sincere, he's saying, hey, if you're a believer, stop pretending. Stop pretending that you love people, but be real and be genuine. And the word for love that he uses here is one that you should be familiar with, agape. It's the selfless love. You know, the love that reaches out and meets people's needs indiscriminately, unconditionally, and sacrificially. Because the world's view of love, version of love, it's very focused on me and self. But God says that our love needs to be focused on, on others. He says, let your love be like that, without masks, sincere. First John three fourteen. we know that we have passed from death to life Because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. So John says, hey, love is a divine test. And so it signifies whether or not you have really crossed over from death to life. To be in fellowship with Jesus is to experience and express love. And so John is saying that if you claim to be a Christian but you don't love people, then your claim is nothing but a sham. So love, the love that you see in your life for others, it's a benchmark of your Christian faith, of your maturity. It's, a, it's an evidence that, that your character really is being transformed on a you know, day-by-day basis through into the image of Jesus. Now go back to verse nine. Notice the other thing uh, that he mentions related to our character is we are to hate what is evil. Hate what is evil. Now maybe you're thinking, well, What's that got to do with love and and love being sincere? You know, how do you go from love to hate? I think we kind of, um, you know, stumble over passages like this because we have a tendency today to turn love into, you know, unicorns and warm fuzzies, right? that's, That's how we think about love. And we forget that biblical love can never be separated from biblical truth. Biblical love can never be separated from biblical truth. And he uses a really strong term here for hate, literally meaning to abhor. Abhor. There's no gray area here. You know, now, maybe somebody's thinking, yeah, but Pastor Chris, you know, I thought the Bible teaches that, you know, God is love, that, um, you know, God is a God of love. Yeah, it does. But it also says that our God is holy. Holy. And then he's a God of righteousness. Uh, look at Proverbs chapter 6. Uh, it says this there are six things the Lord what? What's it say? Hates. That'd be a great sermon series, right? What does the Lord hate? Let's talk about it. Uh, it actually says seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes. What's that? Pride. A lying tongue? Hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. You see, for you to love like God loves, you've got to hate what God hates. Remember what Jesus said to the church in Thyatira in Revelation chapter 2? This is um, the letters, the seven letters uh, to the churches in Revelation. He said, I have this against you you tolerate that woman Jezebel. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality. In other words, he's saying, hey, instead of upholding holiness, you are soft-peddling sin. And they were tolerating immorality, and Jesus is calling them out for it. And so I think at times we need to ask ourselves, hey, how are we responding to evil? Do we hate it because it hurts the heart of God? Or have we become so desensitized to it that we tolerate it and we just make excuses for it? And so that leads to the final exhortation that Paul gives related to our character. He says that we are to cling to what is good. Cling to what is good. We're to to hate evil and be cemented to what is good. That's what the word cling to means here. It's the same word that Jesus used uh, for cleave when he said that a man should leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two become one flesh. It's, It's used to describe this bond, becoming one. And so we're to hate what is evil, and then we are to be united, cling to what is good. That's tough, isn't it? I mean, it is. Well, I mean, let's just admit it. it. It's tough to live a you know a G-rated life in an X-rated world, and we're surrounded all around us. We're bombarded with all kinds of evil and evil influences every day. So where do you begin? What do you do? I think a starting place is what David said in the Psalms, Psalm, Psalm one nineteen eleven. I have hidden your word in my heart, that I might not sin against you, Paul. Began chapter 12 in the same way. He said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so that's where it starts, with the word of God. And so that's where this first circle starts. It starts with you and me and, and our character. Love what is evil. Cling to what is good. Sincere, you know, love. But then the circle widens a little bit. In verses 10 through 13, uh, number two, the circle expands to include the family of God, the church, you and me, together, and not just us here at Coastal, but uh, believers all around the world, brothers and sisters in Christ. Look Look at verses 10 through 13. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. So let's dig into this one a little bit. He begins by saying, be devoted to one another in love. Some translations say brotherly love, others say uh, genuine affection. The reason for that is that this is actually a compound word from two Greek words that both mean love. And they, they take into account this Warm, affectionate love between friends, but also the word for family love, and then it kind of puts them together. So it's kind of like the love that a parent has for their children. It's, it's not just theological love. It's this tender, caring kind of affection that embraces other people as family. And he says that's what we're to have for one another, be devoted to one another. Then he says that we're to honor one another above ourselves, that, that's Philippians 2 3 in action, where it says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. So the idea is one of um, humility, that we're to be humble as we relate to one another. Now, humility is not, by the way, thinking less of yourself. You know, like, oh, Woe is me, I'm pitiful, I'm nothing, I'm a loser. That's not humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's simply thinking of yourself less. And you're a little bit more focused on other people. And that's how we're to treat each other. And then I love verse 11 where he says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. That's a great word, spiritual fervor. It's a statement about the intensity of your devotion. Don't lose your zeal. What does that mean? Well, he really defines it with this other phrase, keep your spiritual fervor. So the word fervor there, it means to bring to a boil. You know, they would use it in um, breaking down metals and getting them so hot where they would become a liquid. Uh, It's like Paul is saying, hey, as a Christian, you're to be a boiling hot believer, excited, you know, eager, enthusiastic, enthusiastic. It reminds me of uh, the story of the two disciples in Luke chapter 24. They're walking down the road uh, to Emmaus. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Jesus comes and joins them. And he starts talking to them, but they don't recognize him. And he's explaining the scriptures to them. And um, Luke 24 uh, verse 32, it, it, when, when you get to that passage, he's, this is later on at night and he's with them and they break bread together, kind of fellowshipping together and all of a sudden their eyes are open, and they recognize him and it says that they said this to one another in verse 32, were not our hearts burning within us, circle that phrase right there, our hearts burning within us while, we, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. That's the word for fervor. It's it's zeal. It's it's this burning excitement, enthusiasm in in, in your heart for for Jesus. You know, it's an excitement for the Lord, for serving. You see, Paul's not talking here about uh, hype, you know, emotionalism. He's talking about this this real, genuine eagerness that, that God kindles within our heart that produces... A passion to serve. That's the whole point. In fact, look at the end of verse 11. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor for the purpose of what? What does he say? Serving the Lord. Serving the Lord. That's what we're to be excited about. Now, let's admit, we get excited about all kinds of stuff, don't we? I mean, we do. I do too. I mean, you know, depending on, you know, who you are and what, you know, your passions are, maybe you get excited about homes and uh, de- How many of you are excited about the fall and pulling out your, uh, you know, all of your your pumpkins, right? You know, I pulled up to my, my driveway the other day and in my neighbor's driveway, it looked like Michael's had exploded, right? They had all these colorful, you know, pumpkins and all that kind of stuff. But we get excited about that. We get excited about new clothes or shoes or a new restaurant. We get excited about Taylor Swift. We get excited about Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. We get excited about, you know, all kind of stuff. And And listen, it's great, it is. It's fun, it's exciting, no problem. But the real question should be this. Do we ever have that kind of excitement and enthusiasm for the Lord? And in particular, for serving. Because that's what he's saying here. Keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Verse 12. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Those three go together. The call to be patient in affliction is sandwiched right in between hope and prayer. And I think that's intentionally. Because I think that's what keeps us going when we do run into affliction. Pain and hardship joyful hope, and faithful prayer. The word affliction there in, in chapter 12 here, it has the underlying meaning of being under pressure, intense pressure. Ever feel that way? Just the world's beating you down and you just feel like you're under pressure. Paul says that despite of that pressure, you can still be joyful in hope. Because we know that we know that this isn't our home, right? We know we're just passing through. We know what's coming. We know that this is not all there is. We walk by faith. And because we do, we're able to bear up under. That's what the word patient here means to remain steadfast, to persevere. And while we do that, while we persevere, joyful in hope, patient in affliction, we are to be faithfully doing what? Praying. In Colossians, Paul reminded the believers to devote yourselves to prayer. First Thessalonians were told to pray continually. In other words, prayer is just a way of life for a believer. For you and me, it's like, it's spiritual breathing, And that's how we do it. Joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithfully praying. Verse 13, share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Can't be any more simple than that, right? I mean, that's pretty direct, pretty to the point. You know, here in the Deep South, we kind of pride ourselves about being hospitable, don't we? Listen, biblical hospitality is so much more than just entertaining. Now, So what is he saying here? Well, we are living in a day and time where the world is bent on receiving, getting, about me. But Christians are supposed to be bent on giving, sharing. Listen to me. You will never be more like God than when you give. 1 John 3, 16 and 18 This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? In other words, how can your hearts really be open to one another if your pocketbook and your home is not? And then he concludes, Dear children, Let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. That's exactly what Paul's saying. Hey, real, sincere, genuine love always produces a genuine concern for one another, a concern that will move you into action. You know, there, there is just something special about opening up your home to people. Something really special about sitting around the kitchen table for a meal with other people that enables you, to, you know, to get to know them on a, on a different level. Uh, Jesus loved hospitality. I mean, you always see him doing this. He, he's always breaking bread, always fellowshipping uh, over a meal with people. In fact, evidently he loved it so much that he was accused of being a drunk and a glutton, being a little too open and a little too friendly with what they thought were the wrong kinds of people. But that didn't bother Jesus because they were his people. And his point is they should be our people, all people. He was a people person. So let me ask you a question. When's the last time you opened up your home to someone? Had somebody over for a meal? It's easy to do that with people that you know and love and that you like. But just maybe to get to know somebody. Oh, Pastor Chris, I can't do that. I don't have a nice enough home. Or, you know, I, I, I can't afford to do that. Listen, I'm not talking about entertaining people. I'm just loving people. And so these circles, they keep keep growing, they keep including more and more people. And now in verses 14 through 16, number three, the circle of love expands even further to include now all people. Starts with me, includes, you know, the family of God, the church, but now all people, and you ready for this? Even difficult people. This is where the rubber meets the road. And so the question is, as a believer, how do you respond when you're mistreated? What does he say? Verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. This really isn't anything new. This is just what Jesus said. Luke chapter 6, Jesus said, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those Who mistreat you. Now, the response of the world is hey, if you persecute me, I'm gonna persecute you. You know, you come at me, I'm gonna come at you. But Paul's saying, hey, we are not to respond that way. You know, when when we're harassed or persecuted, we don't return in kind. We are to bless. And it's a really interesting word there. In Greek, it's where we get our English word. You ready for this? Been to a funeral lately? It's the word for eulogy, to eulogize someone. Someone is mean to you. You are to celebrate them with praise. Wow. And then in verse 15, he says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. In other words, we're supposed to be willing to walk in the shoes of other people, people in this world, people that that are maybe very difficult. You know? We're to do life with people. We're to care. You know, your success is my success. You know, when people succeed, our reaction is not supposed to be, you know, when somebody around you, you know, maybe somebody that you don't really like that much or, you know, when they get, you know, a raise or they get a promotion or they, you know, get a new home or a new car, you know, instead of envy or jealousy, our reaction is supposed to be one of happiness and praise. Because your success is my success. We rejoice with those who rejoice, and he says, we're to mourn with those who mourn. We're to empathize with people. We're to walk in their shoes, vice versa. Look at verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Guys, listen, there's to be no place for favoritism in the church regardless of dress or status or standing or income. You know, when it comes to the social ladder of life, we're to treat people who may be at the bottom rung no different than we would treat those people at the top. You know, that's one of the things I, I like about Coastal. We have people here from all walks of life And that's supposed to be one of the beautiful things about the church. What's that old saying? The ground is level at the foot of the cross. So, the circle of love, again, starts with me and my character. It widens to include the church. goes even further to include all people in the world outside of the church, even difficult people. And then, number four, in verses 17 through 21, he said it includes even your personal enemies, Listen to these words. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. By the way, stop there just for a second. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you. You know what that means? Sometimes it's not possible, but you've got to do your part. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul saying in the life of the believer, there is absolutely no room for personal revenge or retaliation. See, Paul is calling you and me to this supernatural response and reaction. Now, we know that as Christians, we, I mean, we've talked about this a lot at Coastal, that love is an action. It's an action, right? It's a verb. But many times, a far greater expression of love is your reaction, your response. How do you respond or react when you're mistreated, when you're in traffic, when you're waiting in line, someone doesn't get your order right? Sometimes a far greater expression of love is your reaction, your response. Go back to Luke 6, listen to what Jesus said about our reaction. He said, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. What's he saying? Hey, it's easy to love the lovely, isn't it? It's easy to, you know, do good to those who are like you, the people in your life that you enjoy hanging out with. But over and over and over again, Jesus told his followers to love your enemies. Back in 1999, uh, the once great interviewer, Larry King, he interviewed the parents of one of the girls who was fatally shot at uh, Columbine High School in Colorado. Larry King said, you've got to be bitter. You've got to be angry at those kids who did this. I know they're dead, but you've got to have such anger in your hearts toward them. And the woman responded, No, Larry, I actually have forgiveness for them. I have pity for them. I pity especially their parents who now have to live with what their children have done. I feel sorry for those parents, and I have such love in my heart for them and forgiveness. And so Larry King looked pale, paler than he normally did, right? Um, as if to say, You've got to be kidding. And then he quickly turned to the husband and he said, you don't feel that way, do you? And the husband responded, Larry, let me tell you something. This kind of love would be impossible. Before I came to Christ, I couldn't have done it. But because Jesus has put his love into my heart and has forgiven me the way he loves me, he's done a work in me and he's carried me through this. I do have love in my heart. And I do have forgiveness. That's an example of Romans 12 in action. That's love. And uh, you see, guys, again, it doesn't matter how correct your theology is. If you're not growing in love and being transformed day by day to be a little bit more like Jesus, then it's a sham. Because this is what we're called to as Christians. It is the supernatural reaction, the supernatural response that can only come through Christ. It starts with you. You know, again, the circle of love, it starts with you as Jesus transforms your heart and your character. And then it grows to include all of us, one another, how we treat one another in the church, the family of God. And it keeps growing. It includes all people, people outside the church, even people who are difficult, and it even grows to include our enemies. Wow. So I want to close with this question. What about you? If that's love, how loving are you? How loving are you? Again, it's only possible through Christ. We can't manufacture that kind of love on our own. And maybe if this kind of love is not very representative of you right now and you are a believer, maybe you've kind of walked away from Christ for a time. Because he hadn't moved. He hasn't left you. So maybe the call today is to come home to renew your commitment to him and allow him to do that transformative work in your life. Or maybe for you today it's to come to Christ for the very first time because you can't be changed by Christ. You can't love like Christ until Christ's love is in you. And you can have that today. You can take care of that today. Listen, just pour your heart out to him in a prayer. You know, admit what you know to be true, that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. And just tell Jesus, you know, I, I am repenting today. I am walking away from my way of doing life, and I'm going to walk toward yours in faith. I believe, I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe you rose from the dead, and I want you to be my Savior and my Lord, and I humbly come to you today. And if you'll do that... He'll begin that good work in you and you will begin to see that power grow and grow and it'll enable you to love like Jesus. Bow your heads and pray with me. Father, today, thank you for your word. Thank you for this supernatural love that you call us to. And Father, I just, I pray right now for those that are in this room, for those that are watching online, that if we've not yet received the love of Christ, that today we would pour our hearts out to you that we would admit what we know to be true again that we are in need that we're a sinner that we've blown it but that payment for our sin has been made that Jesus has paid the ultimate price he sacrificed his life he went to the cross he rose from the dead to prove his power over sin and death and he is alive listen pour your heart out, tell God that you believe that and that today you declare that Jesus is Lord, Lord of you and your life and you want to follow him. You want to follow him today. And listen, maybe you've made that decision but again, maybe this love is not really shining in your life right now. Come home, come home. We pray these things today in the name of Jesus, amen.